I saw your reflex. You almost went for the beer. I saw I it. Did. I was trying to decide which one to open. You're, you're just going right it's, for the I just beer. went right for it. It's Beer and Psalms Wednesday. You're supposed to do that with the song. It's good to be dude. with you guys. What? You're supposed to do that with the song. But it's with okay. the song. No, no. I can't <laughs> let it sit here for the whole show. Welcome to Cross Politics. Pastor Toby Chalk Knox. I'm the water boy. I think you would agree with me. We, we do the psalm. At the last about six minutes of the show, and so you got to wait fourteen, you know, minutes, twenty minutes to get there to get to the beer. Start sipping the so beer. So let's, you know, uh, start it off now. I think I, I think I'm with Gabe. All there right, we there we go. Cheers. There we, go. there we go. Cheers. Cheers to the king. Oh, yes. Cheers to the king. All Come right. On, cheers to the king. <laughs> there we go. All right. I'll hey, open. I'm in. Just want to take a quick moment to talk about Fight Laugh Feast Club membership, which is not the same thing as church membership, which we're mm. going to talk about in just Ooh. a minute with Pastor Joe Rigney. But you can join the Fight Laugh Feast Army, Presbyterians mm. and Baptists alike. Are all welcome. I see what you're doing in the Fight Laugh Feast Army. And if you join the club, you can actually stream live the conference that's coming up. If you can't make it to the conference, oh, so, yeah, nice. yeah, yeah, right. Uh-huh. Not only will we be aiding in our fight to take down secular and legacy media, but you also get access to content placed on our club portal. Apparently, like the Fight Laugh Feast conference, mm. past shows, all the past conference talks, and exclusive content for club members behind the backstage. You won't be able to find anywhere else. Lastly, you also get discounts for the conferences. So join today. Sign up now at flfnetwork.com. We're very grateful to have with us today on the show, Pastor Joe Rigney. He's president of Theology and Christian Worldview, president and I think associate pastor or associate professor of Theology and Christian Worldview at Bethlehem <laughs> College and Seminary, uh, pastor at Cities Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. St. Paul. Pastor mm. Joe, thanks for joining us again on Cross Politic. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. Hey, I, I, did, I just got to wonder, though, like, are you having me on as a Baptist because you have, like, plans or anything? Because I've heard some rumors, and I don't even know, you know, <laughs> what, what what I might get blamed for here. What rumors? What are you, you, have what, you heard? What are you talking about? We don't know what you're talking about. I, I don't know. I don't know. I just, you know, little birds talk. Bro, little, we little, haven't. Little, us and Baptists are like this. Bro, we haven't had <laughs> a public <laughs> flogging <laughs> of a Baptist in a long time. Relax, Joe. <laughs> okay. We kind of don't do that. We kind of don't do that anymore. <laughs> I'm relaxed because we're like 2,000 miles away. So. <laughs> well, we know Presbyterians there, too. And nowadays, everything is done on live stream. So, you know. True. Um, so, actually, 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 truth be told, Joe sent us right. an article. Right. Yeah. Right? I mean, come on. Come I, mean, on. I mean, he said it's an olive branch, sort of. Yeah. Did he? Was it an olive branch? He was like, I hear you're having trouble with Baptists. <laughs> <laughs> Can I help you? Is it something like that? I, I mean, it was basically like my, you know, most of my, you know, philosophy is built off of Narnia. And so I'm ready to be friends with anyone who's friendly. And I don't give a fig for anyone who isn't. All right. Um, and so this was, uh, this was a friendly. Yeah. Yeah, I like you got that. You got that. I, uh, That's yeah. interesting. There's so naughty for you. So, so the the article is called "Do Infant Baptisms Count?" Reconsidering open membership. Uh, it's an article that I think you just published maybe a month ago, July twenty seventh. Desiring yeah, yeah. God. Um, so, um, you know, in think, God's timing. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I think it was I, actually I I had actually I think I'd just seen the article right shortly before you, you sent it over, and um, really appreciate you um, passing it along. Um, I mean, I, I think. A lot of people say that baptism is a secondary issue, tertiary issue, but then in practice, it doesn't seem like it works out that way very frequently. Can you just maybe frame um, basically what you were trying to do with this article? Yeah, so this is a part of a long-term kind of project thinking through that sort of issue. Um, So there's actually a companion 
in one that I don't think I sent you guys, but it was, it's on theological triage. And it has to do with how do you sort of triage doctrines like first tier, second tier, third tier. And the puzzle always does come when on the one hand, um, you know, you have gospel issues of the first tier, so Trinity and incarnation and resurrection and sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you've got the second tier, um, which is stuff that we might divide over, but we're still brothers. And then you've got the third tier, which is stuff we shouldn't fight about really at all. We can all get along, even if we disagree. Mm-hmm. But the weird thing is, though, in that second category, you have things like the things that typically get put in there are um, baptismal debates and then debates over, you know, manhood and womanhood. So, you know, complementarity, egalitarian mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. And part of the issue is like, those are different. <laughs> those aren't the exact, you know, there's a difference to those. And, and what is that difference? And, uh, and so I've just been doing, thinking about that for years and trying to figure out um, how do I, you know, uh, a good example would be sort of the together for the gospel, gospel coalition type, type things were sort of, hey, we're Baptists, we're Presbyterians and we're Anglicans and we're all getting along, but like we're all complementarians, right? That was still a divide. And so it was like, well, that's it, together the gospel, but we can't be a part of the same churches. Uh, we don't necessarily recognize each other's baptisms. So there was a kind of a tension maybe um, that I felt as a Baptist between, and this is in, in the article I talk about, sort of two two impulses. One is you might call the Baptist impulse, which is, you know, believe that baptism is for believers, for those who profess faith. And so those are the proper candidates for baptism. So that's that one piece. But then there's sort of this Catholicity impulse, which says, hey, the church is bigger than my, the church capital C is bigger than my church, lowercase mm-hmm. c. And uh, there's a communion of saints and we're all a part of it. And so how do those things work themselves out, especially when you get down to that local church context, when when somebody shows up and, and says, hey, I, I was baptized as an infant, can I join your church? And sort of the, the mainstream Baptist practice uh, is, well, no, you can't, you've got to get baptized again. And so you can't come to the table. Some churches, it goes so far as you can't, you know, you can't join the church. Some churches go so far as to say, you can't even join us at the Lord's table. And that's always been a kind of a, a discomfort. That's felt odd. We've wait, we're brothers, but you can't come to the table. We're brothers, but you can't come to the table. Right. Felt like mixed messages. Right. And uh, so then working through, are there categories that we have sort of in the Christian tradition for navigating this um, that enable us both to be sort of conscientious Baptists and Presbyterians, but also to sort of welcome one another in membership and in at the table. That was kind of the, where it came from. And then, and, and where did you, and just for our audience sake, tell us where you landed yeah. in this article. How, I mean, do, do you accept, yeah. can you accept an infant baptism as for a member? Yeah. So at, at this point, our, you know, our church is still working through this because we sort of inherited the sort of default Baptist. You've got to be rebaptized as an adult, as a I, professing believer. In order to it's not rebaptized, what? man. <laughs> baptized for the true. first time. No. Come on. That, you man. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. That actually, that actually is true. Man. If you talk to certain Baptists, that's exactly where they will yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, and so it's this. You know, you you got you had a little bath at church when you were. You know, yeah. <laughs> a little bird bath, and, uh, a little bird bath. And, uh, and so it didn't count. And um, and so we're still kind of working through the bylaws and sort of stuff. We're still talking. So there's still conversations ongoing. But we're, but where we're headed is toward the uh, willingness to accept infant baptisms as uh, here's the category valid, but improper mm. baptisms, mm. sort of valid and proper. And, and basically the idea was, is if you, if you break baptism down, there's sort of four things that go in it. Uh, there's water. Yep. There's the, the triune name. 
Right. <laughs> yeah, there's water, trying name. The third is mode. So like right. how, how you do it is immersion, right. mm-hmm. spring, mm-hmm. pouring, whatever the mode is. And then there's the, the when question. Um, and so is it, you know, as an infant, uh, is it as a, a, a professing believer, you know, the, the, yeah. the timing yeah. is how I talk about it, but it, and you've got these four different things. And, um, basically, uh, in mission, you've got sort of the, the category of things could be, uh, essential to something and then things should be proper for something. So like, there's the way that you, if you don't have that thing, it ain't, it ain't happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there's stuff that like, Hey, this is the, the best way to do it. This is the proper way to do it but you could be improper, but it still be real. And so as I thought about that, it seemed to me that water and the triune name by everybody's account are essential. And the other two things are where the debates happen, um, mode and timing. And so that it would be possible to say, hey, we think that that was improperly done. You shouldn't have done it that way. But now you're, you know, you were baptized as an infant with sprinkling. And now you're 22 and you want to join my church and you're a professing believer, and I want to say, you got the order wrong. You shouldn't, you got, you got it backwards mm-hmm. uh, in terms of the order and from our understanding, and you should have been dunked, not sprinkled, mm-hmm. but we're not going to let that mistake, that error be a barrier to join, well, having you join us in, in membership. Okay. Um, so we recognize it as a valid, but an improper baptism. So that's, that's kind of where we're moving. And that seems to be a way to honor both impulses to say, Hey, we really are credo Baptists. We're not baptizing infants. Uh, we're, we baptize believers. That's what we teach. That's what we practice. That's what our elder affirmation of faith says. But then at that membership level, we want to have a wider door so that people who we might disagree with on a whole host of views can join the church, be discipled, grow up into maturity, um, and so forth. So that's, that's kind of where we're, we're moving. That's where, that's what I articulate in the Joe, this, this seems to me like um, so. You use the phraseology that uh, pedo baptism may re- may be regarded as valid but improper um, baptism. It's a valid baptism, but it's improper. Yep. You're using that. Um, is that kind of like a newer category, or is are there other issues that might fall under you know this valid but improper for you guys? Um, I can't think of one off the top of my head that would fall quite in the same like the. The, the distinction where I, the term came from, I don't remember exactly where the term came from either. Yeah. Um, I picked it, I may have picked it up from somewhere um, and I just forgot. Yeah. I've heard other guys talk about true but irregular uh-huh. is another way to talk about the same thing. And so I know that there are other Baptists who will look at Presbyterian churches and they say they're real churches, they're true churches, but they're irregular because they're getting baptism wrong. Right. And so I was like, yeah, that's that's a good way to think about it. It's a real church, but it's you, you agree with how they do certain things, but you don't say it's not a church at all. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of like, I think we can do the same thing for baptism. Uh, and then other guys were doing it already when it came to the mode question. So yeah. someone who was like sprinkled as an adult, they would say, well, you got three out of four. <laughs> so yeah. we'll count it. And I was going, well, but this other one, is it is it still the case? And, and it was really a way uh, of avoiding that kind of what feels like a, a, a t- you're speaking out of both sides of your mouth. On the one hand, right. hey, you're, we're brothers. We're all together for the gospel. Yeah. Right. We, we are on the same page. We are, you know, we're all together. We're all together. We're brothers. And then, and then turn around and say, but yeah. you have so blown your baptismal theology and practice mm-hmm. that you are not welcome to join my church and we can't even meet at the Lord's table. Yeah. And it's like that one of those has to give. And, and I think, I think you put the nail on the, the, the hammer on the nail, the nail on the head. The nail um, on the coffin. Yeah. The nail on the coffin. <laughs> Neil, you could chop that up for one of my, uh, well, are we tracking all yeah, my I analogies? Hope, I hope so. I hope so. I'm writing a book on metaphors. <laughs> Anyways. <Okay>. Uh, 
I, I think that was kind of the rub for me on this issue related to baptism with my Baptist brothers was I knew between, you know, I knew I was a Christian. I love Jesus. They knew I was a Christian. They believed I love Jesus. I knew they're a Christian. I believe they love Jesus. You know, we all love Jesus in the room. But then, like, yeah. because I wasn't baptized on the timing or the immersion or the way that they would want me to be baptized, I couldn't, like, join their church or go to the Lord's Supper. It felt like their view of church membership was a higher bar than Jesus' view of me to come in fellowship with him. Right. So. That's exactly right. <sighs> And I, and, I, and, and I think that it, there's ecclesiology stuff sort of lurking underneath there as well mm-hmm. that um, I, I want to do some more work on this. I think um, here's just an observation, and uh, I've got some thoughts in a direction on this, but I'm not sure if they're fully fully there. But, uh, you know, classical Protestants tend to talk in terms of the visible and the invisible church, right? Mm-hmm. right? That, that sort of distinction. Yeah, yeah. Um, Baptists actually tend to talk more in terms of universal and local. And those aren't quite doing the exact same thing yeah. right. is whether you can see it. And one is sort of how big it is. Yeah. And, uh, and it seems that you kind of like, we need all of those categories, but the one that gets lost, I think sometimes for Baptist is that visible yeah. universal, right? So that you're a member of the visible. So that, and that's where, you know, when I've, I've asked other Baptist brothers who, who disagree with me on this and want to maintain sort of the, the, fen- the higher fence, I've said, well, so is a Presbyterian brother, um, is he a member of the church? And they say, well, he can't be a member of my church. Yeah, no, I know, but is he a member of like the church? Well, he's a member of the invisible church. Yeah. Okay, but is he a member of the visible church? Right. And it's just like the category doesn't quite exist. Or they'll say, well, he's a member of the new covenant. Okay, but I thought baptism was how you got into the new covenant. Right. That's, that was the, the visible it sign. Is. It and is. Does it have, so, and so it feels like there's some there's some gaps there uh, on it. And, and yeah. I think another thing is, given that the, you know, we're dealing with disagreements, Something's gone wrong somewhere. Yeah. And that's part of the, that. Those are the debates. And so you're going to have problems either way. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like if you do the closed membership thing, then you're going to have closed membership problems like this sort of, hey, we're brothers, but you're not right. that thing. Yeah. Right. Um, and now with an open membership, you'll have open membership problems. Right. And in my mind, I think I'd rather have those problems. Joe, I, I just have to ask you there's a couple things actually. I want to know, I'm going to put two questions together. I want to know why this is really important to you because this is, yeah, I, was gonna I mean, this is something that's been going on in Christendom for a, for long, a long time. And it doesn't seem like a lot yeah. of people have figured this out. When I became Reformed, I, I had struggles because I was at a Presbyterian church. They weren't really Presbyterian. And I found my Baptist Reformed brothers were far more Presbyterian in one sense than they were. And I'm like, I yeah. want to go over here and fellowship with them, but I can't be a member. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so that was really hard. I would want to leave there. They would have had who I might have been a Baptist if they let me in. Who knows? Uh, but that's where I wanted to go. But I couldn't be a member. And it helped me from from being in fellowship with them, which was really hard. So there, there's that. Like, why yeah. is this important? I see that in one sense. The other thing is, if you look at the Westminster Confession of Faith and the 1689 Confession, uh, you see this parallel running constantly between the two. They are in uni- they're in unity. Mm. And then you get to this yep. one area or two areas kind of around the sacraments and you see this break. <laughs> You're like, whoa, what? I didn't even see that yep. bump coming. So when you look at it, I don't think for Presbyterians, we look at it and say, oh man, you're asking me to be less Presbyterian because I have to embrace a Baptist into a Presbyterian uh, church, right? That doesn't feel like, that just naturally feels like we're a little more ecumenical in that sense. But to a Baptist, I think you're asking him in one way or another to, to take away what makes him Baptist. 
You know, I think that right. a lot of Baptists are going to look at this like, well, that's one of the things that identify me as what I am is at this very crux right here. How do you answer that question? Yeah, yeah good. So I think one, so one of the things lurking in the back is just sort of the history of how we got these different traditions. And part of that history is sort of persecution of Baptists who deviated from the standard, you know, Catholic and Reformed practice, mm-hmm. right? So who became convinced from the Bible, and then there was persecutions and all that sort of stuff. And so that, that meant the the Baptist distinctives of cre- like credo baptism and so forth became really really important. So there's a historical kind of reason for why that's right. That tension there, yeah. And uh, and then I think uh, the the reason for me that it's important it does have to do a lot with Catholicity. Is I think in the present environment in the culture that we live in, um, linking arms with the folks who know Jesus, love Jesus, and and want to advance the gospel is really important. And so that's where that's where my energy on this came from was, hey, I, I, I think we're all on the same page. And, and I want, I think of, I'm a Christian Protestant Baptist, like in that order. Mm-hmm. And so um, and so it's like other Protestants, I want baptism, Baptist, I locate that as a um, species of Protestantism, not as like a third thing alongside, mm. which some, some Baptists can kind of sound that way. Like you got Catholics. Then you got the the Protestants, the Reformed, yep. and then you've got Baptist is sort of this like third thing. And I'm like, I really want to be under the Protestant thing. Um, yeah. As a as That's a more, more I think I think what I would say to to the Baptists who feel like, hey, you're asking us to give up a lot. I do think there is a little bit of a difference because you bap- Presbyterians baptize more people, right? Right. So it's no it's no cost to say, hey, yeah, we'll accept your Baptist baptism. Um, because hey, one way or the other, you got it, mm-hmm. and uh, and so there's nothing. You know. Now I do think that there would be that that would be the case if um, I don't know how. It, I guess it wouldn't be this case for you guys, but I know some traditions. It would be a really big deal for a church member not to baptize his children. Mm-hmm. Like it would like like cer- certain pedo Baptists go so far as that you're sinning against your kids by not bringing them to the font. Right right away yeah, yeah. that would put and him so, out of membership though in most most well, cases the, I, was, I was talking to a couple that just moved here and they said that uh that they came from a reformed church that you had to baptize your babies yeah. as a, as a point of membership that's a very minimal view but, I, but I, think it's, I think it's cycle. relatively rare yeah. weird but yeah it, it's rare so i think that in that sense like if you were in that camp that would be more yeah. similar to like right. the baptism. exactly like, yeah you, you know, we're, we're going to enforce this all the way down and it would become a barrier to, to fellowship and so i th- think one of the things that enables us to do this uh, as a kind of practical matter is we have two affirmations of faith at our church. One is sort of an elder affirmation of faith. It's not 1689, but it's that kind of thing. It's fuller. It's got, you know, it's 30 pages. It's got scriptures, uh, you know, everywhere. It's really detailed. And then we have a kind of a real bare bones membership affirmation of faith. That's basically like, are you born again? Do you trust Jesus? Yeah. And you believe the base, it's all that first year stuff. And that actually is part of what enables us to do this right. so that we can have a wider door to church membership because we've got a narrow door for church leadership. Yep. And it's that narrow door where the guarding of the Baptist convictions really happens. And it's at that other one that then, man, you could be an Arminian and you could come join our church right. and you could be an egalitarian if you want to come. And, you know, like there's all sorts of things that that would be you could be wrong on. And we'd say, hey, come because that's what discipleship is, right. is the elders teaching you what is true and what is right and, and trying to grow you up in the faith. And we're not going to say you got to get it all together on the front end before you can, mm. you can come in. Are, are you going to be able to stay around? I just want to know before. 
Are you gonna, okay, okay, okay. The wife said, okay. Oh, Woo, can, all right. I can ask him Go a question. Ahead. Go ahead. So, so Joe, is, this article's been out for a month or so. I mean, maybe you've been floating it longer than that. But what's the reception been to it broadly? And I mean, are they are people calling for your head on a, um, you know, a Baptist calling for your head on a pike, or is um, or is it is it being received warmly? Um, I think among some Baptists who have similar impulses, instincts, there's a oh, this is a really interesting way forward. I think among some more traditional Southern Baptists guys, it's uh, whoa, this is this is that compromise. We're we're giving away the farm on our Baptist distinctives. We shouldn't do this. This is not the way. But it uh, there's a Piper, you know, sought to make this move, you know, 15, 20 years ago at Bethlehem, okay. uh, and it eventually stalled out. But he was already there uh, with slightly different categories than I'm. I'm doing a little bit different categories, but same aim and same impulse. Okay. Uh, and so in that sense, I don't think it surprises people. They're sort of like, well, yeah, that's just what those Minneapolis Baptists do. Um, <laughs> so, you know, no, my kind of Baptist. And, <laughs> and uh, big, hometown, baby. Big tent Baptist. Uh, yeah. Big, big tent Baptist. All right. Um, today's beer and Psalms. Yes. And um, Joe's going to hang out with us. We're going to, we're going to hit Psalm 47 here and, uh, and then we're going to go backstage and, um, mm-hmm. yeah, cause I got to ask Joe, cause this, he's right. There's some implications I want to know because after yeah, you start letting uh-huh. yeah. people's baptisms in, <laughs> what about the other sacrament? Is, is it slippery? Wait, what? Is it, what? Is what's it the slope here, brother? Okay, uh, we'll talk about that though when okay. we get backstage. But, <laughs> but first, you need to know about Boniface Woodworking. Boniface Woodworking exists for those who enjoy shopping with integrity, who want to buy handmade wooden furniture, gifts, and heirloom items that will last for generations, from dining tables and church pulpits to cigar humidors. And everything in between. Didn't you say these people were making something for us? They're, they're, they're making a cigar humidor for us. Oh, they are. Yeah. Is it Custom, coming? Yeah, yeah. Sometime when they're, okay, you know. Okay. Uh, three of them? All right. Qual- <laughs> it's for the studio. Mm. Oh, oh. Mm. Quality pieces. We have to share it. Mm. Quality pieces that you can give your children's children. Kind of like a covenantal thing. Tie them to their roots and transcend the basic function of whatever they are. So start voting with your dollars and stop buying cheap crap from people who hate you. <laughs> Get to me every time. Visit bonificeworking.woodworking.com to see our gallery, learn the story, submit your order for heirloom quality wood items today. Mm. Got some. There we go. Cheers. Cheers, to the, Cheers to the king. Psalm 47. Cheers to the king. Cheers. Joe, Joe, cheers! This is for you. Salute. <laughs> got oh, very, okay. there, there, there you go. go. There you go. Very Baptist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got some Baptist Sorry, something yeah. in there. <laughs> yeah, maybe got my diet coke over there. Maybe. <laughs> there we go. Clap your hands, all people. Shout to God with a loud songs of joy for the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great King over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. Mm. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham, for the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. This is one of the psalms we will be singing at the Fight, Laugh, Feast conference in Knoxville in October. It's a song of praise, certainly, but it's particularly a psalm of victory, a psalm of enthronement. This is a great psalm to sing, for example, when you're remembering and celebrating the ascension of Jesus to the Father's right hand. The psalm acclaims God as king over all the earth and having put nations under our feet, which is striking because it says under our feet. Psalm 110, Mm. remember, we Mm. looked at that, I think it was last week. It says that God has put all things under the feet of the Messiah. 
But just but Jesus came to crush just as Jesus came to crush the head of Satan, the dragon, to put him under his feet. Paul says, and the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly, mm-hmm. Romans 16, 20. So what happens, what Jesus does becomes true of his people. The next section seems to recall the conquest of Canaan under Joshua and perhaps even the reconquest under David, taking back the land from the Philistines and reestablishing worship, coming into the land. God gave Israel that land, and that gift was honored by ordering all of life around the worship of God in the tabernacle and then later the temple. So sing praises. The psalm returns to acclaim God as king of all the earth. And the fact that God's throne is not just over Israel, but is over all the nations, therefore the psalm ends praising God that all the peoples will come and worship. All the princes of the nations will come, just like the children of Abraham have come. All the shields of the earth belong to God. All the nations belong to him. He is highly exalted. So it's utterly impossible to read this psalm or sing this psalm or pray this psalm without concluding that God intends that all the nations will bow before him. Mm. I mean, that's what it says. (laughs) Jesus said that all authority in heaven and earth had been given to him. Therefore, Go, disciple the nations, baptizing them whenever you want, and teaching them to obey Christ. (laughs) Now, some bright seminary student will say, but Pastor Toby, nations there is the word ethnoi, and that means different ethnic groups. Okay, fine. That's what it means. All the ethnic groups. We need to disciple them, right? And then we need to teach them to obey Jesus in everything. Right? With me so far? Amen. So that includes their governments, their prime ministers, their parliaments, their congresses, their supreme courts, Mm -hmm. and all their stupid bureaucracies. (laughs) There's no way out of this. If God is king of all the earth, then all the earth belongs to him. He is their rightful king. And now you either think that God is a terrible king and he really would like to bring them to worship him, but he can't because they have free will. And so God is merely begging them to submit, (laughs) but they just won't. Or else you think that God has decided not to save them, or that he could have, but he decided that the ends of the earth was just too much work, not worth it, or some other mysterious reason. But the Bible teaches that God sent his son into the world so that the world would not be condemned, and that through him it might be saved. The world. So when the nations come, when the king of Nineveh repents, when Nebuchadnezzar repents, what do we tell them to do about sexual morality in the land? What do we tell them to do about criminal justice or economic policy? Does Jesus have a word for them about that? Is there a discipleship program for magistrates and kings and judges? If so, you're a Christian intergalacticist, just like us. You'll also get called mean names like Christian nationalist or theocrat or theonomist. But we don't think you should care. We don't think you should care. (laughs) Christian intergalactic. That's not the song I (laughs) know. Hey, Joe, you hang on right there. We're going to talk to you in just a moment. So if you're single, get married. If you're married, have you some kids. And if you have kids, go baptize them. Until tomorrow, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go fight, laugh, and feast. This is Cross Politics. And apparently you can join Joe Rigney's church, too. Well, they're working they're on working it. On. They're, they're working, working on, on they're it. They're working on it. <laughs> yeah. Call those things as not as though they were. I see <laughs> Hi, I'm Robert Borton, CEO of Classical Conversations, the world's largest classical Christian homeschooling community. I'm launching a new podcast, Refining Rhetoric. If you like cross-politics or just listen to hear what crazy stuff they're saying today, you will enjoy Refining Rhetoric. You can find us on your favorite podcast platform. I practice the 15 tools of learning by interviewing great guests, looking at current events, and talking about cryptocurrency. This is where Dave and I plan this year's company holidays. Let's go through the list. Easter, too religious. St. Patrick's Day? Too white. Mother's Day? Way too cisgendered. 
all of your usual holidays have been canceled this year. But we still have Karl Marx's birthday! <laughs> Need a real reason to party? Find a new job at redballoon.work. Meet Big Ed. He has a tax-funded taste for children. Big Ed knows that the best grooming starts early. He has a plan for your preschoolers, a plan to gender confuse your grade schoolers. But if you think his grooming stops there, you have not been paying attention. Big Ed wants to liberate your daughters from old-fashioned ideas like, well, you already know. Big Ed has dorm rooms ready for you in prison buildings of learning and professors standing by dedicated to grooming young adults in doubt and unbelief. After all, he is the gatekeeper of this brave new world. And if you want a job, you'll need to pay him with years of your life for a permission slip. Yeah, whatever. You think David paid Goliath for a certificate in giant management before those two squared off? Did Luther major in theses? Was George Washington summa cum laude in empire repellent? while Jefferson focused on ag with a minor in declarations. When the world needs saving, meaningful vocations abound for those who are truly prepared. And the truth is, despite Marxist advances, this is still America and Big Ed is still a voluntary opt-in. So don't. Not at any level. Not preschool, not middle school, not college. It isn't complicated. When Big Ed offers you free candy, Stay away. You'll thank us later. We know it's crazy, but run with us here. Men and women were created in the image of God. You don't need a government certificate of faux learning for personal validation or permission to work. You were born with divine permission to pursue knowledge and understanding, truth, goodness, and beauty. And at New St. Andrews College, we are committed to helping students do just that to their fullest potential. In an age dominated by chaos when learning is on a choke leash controlled by Big Ed and his many strange friends, ours is an education for outlaws, an education for men and women committed to building a beautiful and free society in the ruins of the Western world. When thinking is outlawed, only outlaws will think. Yes, Big Ed hates what we do, but his hatred brings us joy. New St. Andrews College liberal arts for outlaws, mind, body, and soul.